0: Survival in Motion Podcast. Learn. Adapt. Prepare. Survive. Hello, everyone. This is author Cal Wilson. Welcome to another episode of the Survival in Motion Podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to give advice to the mostly peaceful protesters and murderers out there. But before we get to that, I just wanted to say a couple of house cleaning items here. Number one, the audiobook for my last book is now out and available for purchase. The book is EMPNYC. That stands for Electromagnetic Pulse New York City. So now in addition to the paperback version, there is also a Kindle version. Now there is an audiobook version available. So check it out. It's possible the next episode or two of the Survival in Motion podcast, I'll have somebody read an early chapter of the sequel book to that, just so you can kind of whet your appetite. Some people were asking, what's going on with Michael and Claire's mother, who was in Europe when the EMP tax attacks happened? And so this will start off answering that question and let you know what the mother was doing in London, but that will probably be either next episode or the following episode of the Survival in Motion podcast. Two episodes ago, I talked about driving versus the mob of protesters. A few nights ago, my wife and I went and had dinner with a couple friend of ours, and the two wives pretty much held their own conversations, and this husband and I talked, and we're both pretty strange people, pretty bizarre and demented. And when we get... Talking just between the two of us, anything goes. We were talking about different things that we could do to our car or his pickup truck that would enhance our ability to survive an encounter with a BLM or Antifa mob in the road. And he came up with a great idea, which was a train horn. A train horn, you know, blasting off with a bunch of mob people in front would probably hurt their ears so much so that they would probably get out of the way and let you go. And your windows would have to be up, and the windows of the other drivers would have to be up. But I think that's a great idea. I looked on Amazon, and they only sell a train horn with a decibel of 150 decibels. I'm not sure if that's as loud as a real train horn, but that's pretty loud. Also, this friend of mine reminisced about a friend of his— in high school, who just as a prank had like a 200-gallon water tank in the back of his pickup truck, and he hooked it up to a water pump and then hosed down pedestrians as he was driving around. You know, we've all done stupid things like that when we were in high school. I think that's what high school's for. But anyway, I said, instead of water, you could put sewage in that tank. And If you're met in the road by some Black Lives Matter or Antifa people who want to block the road and they want to possibly vandalize your car or harm you somehow or harm some other people, I would imagine squirting the protesters with a bunch of sewage. I would bet that that might get them to leave the situation. Anyway, I've kidded before about a trim package being offered On Dodge pickups or Ford pickups or Chevy pickups or whatever. And that's why I'm mentioning this. If anyone listening to this works for those companies, by all means, steal my idea and don't worry about royalties. Just go with it. I think that would be great. And in addition to, you know, bulletproof windows and windshield and panels on the side, because some of these protesters are starting to shoot. That kind of thing. But I think it would be a great idea to have a trim package. I can imagine talking to the Ford dealer, right? I'd like that F-150 over there. And do you have that pickup truck available with the Mob Survival trim package? You know, how much extra would that be? You know, that kind of thing. I think that would be a great idea. And if you work for one of these aftermarket mechanics, you know, who will add things to cars, you know, aftermarket, like, you know, the dark windows, that kind of thing. Keep it legal, of course, but that might be something that you or your company could advertise. Come to our mechanic shop, and we will apply stuff to your car that will better enable you to get through a BLM or Antifa mob in the street. I think that would be a great idea. And if you are a state legislator, or if you work for somebody who is That would also be a great idea. At least get it out there. Propose the bill for train horns, for example. I know there are a lot of states have laws against cars that are too loud beyond a certain decibel. You could be that legislator in that state who says, let's make it legal to have train horns beyond that certain decibel rating if there is a hostile Protest mob in the road blocking your way. I think that would be great. That would make somebody's career. Anyway, I hope those ideas catch on somewhere. I think that would be great. Those of us who follow the rules and we get picked on by these Black Lives Matter and Antifa people, we need to start thinking about better ways to better protect ourselves. The episode I had two episodes ago was, I think, the fourth. Highest listened to episode of the survival in motion podcast. And I didn't really promote it that much. I mean, I sent links to a few Facebook survival groups, but in other words, that's a big topic and people are really concerned about law and order and specifically driving to work and getting blocked by some Antifa or BLM people or driving home or whatever and being assaulted or shot at and. It's a big deal, and I think there's a huge market out there for pickup trucks or vehicles that would offer such a trim package, or for aftermarket mechanics who can install some stuff on your vehicle to better enable you to survive one of these mobs in the middle of the street. In COVID news, I wanted to mention the CDC has issued a report that something like only 9,000 Americans have really died of COVID. Everybody else who has died of COVID has had other problems, you know, like diabetes or heart disease or whatever. So this should drastically change the thinking behind all these shutdowns. I mean, besides the obvious, which is it's uh, not constitutional, but there should be a reassessing of the situation if you believe that shutdowns make people safer, From whatever disease is lurking out there, then this CDC report should come up in every conversation. So I just wanted to mention that. In other news, I was stunned and infuriated, and and I'm still livid at the two police officers who were ambushed in Compton, California. It's got me livid. The two sheriff deputies in Compton, California, who were ambushed by this shooter. And I believe the shooter might be. They used to be called midgets, they're called dwarfs or little people nowadays. I don't think it's a child or a elementary school person. I think it's a little person. So I think that person will be found eventually, especially with all the reward money being offered. But it just made me furious to not only see that on a, a videotape, but also people in the area heard about it and came out to the scene and they were videotaping themselves and laughing about it. And in the background, you could see that same sheriff's car in the background. It it makes me wonder, what planet are we living on? This is ridiculous. And then the Black Lives Matter people went down to the hospital where those police officers were being treated, and they tried to storm into the emergency room. They tried to block the entrances and exits to that hospital. I just think, can you get even more demonic? It's just crazy. And then... Of course, all this is going to be ignored by the media. That's a given. The mainstream media is going to ignore this until an NPR reporter showed up and was too close to somebody being arrested. And the the police were telling this reporter, stay away, stay away. And no, she didn't. So she got too close. And then she gets arrested. And then that's what is outraging the mainstream media. Not everything else before it. Just that one instance of the NPR reporter being arrested. The whole thing is just four outrages right in a row there. NPR, remember, our tax dollars are going to pay for NPR, and that is something that needs to be defunded. It's the liberal slant on any news or any feature item out there. It's always the liberal slant on it, which is fine. But why should they have our tax money pay to disseminate that liberal slant on everything? And some people say, well, they they might have to shut down. No, they'll have to do commercials like every other news channel. We have to put up with commercials on Fox News and every other news program. Why shouldn't we have to put up with commercials on NPR? And plus, if we defund NPR, that means a lot of liberal foundations like the Ford Foundation are going to have to... Increase their funding for NPR, and therefore they won't be able to pay for the campaigns for liberal candidates all over the place. So I would definitely recommend defunding NPR. All right, today's issue, and and like Officer Tatum says, let's get into this. I'm very annoyed by the ongoing violence. And at one point I thought, well, this has happened before, it's not the end, and it'll blow off. And While it's still possible, I'm reassessing the whole idea that this might not blow off and it might not decrease. It might just keep on going. And I think at this point, we've left 1968 in the rearview mirror way back there. I mean, things are a whole lot worse than 1968. I studied American history in high school and college. I can't think of off the top any period of American history where we've had riot problems worse than this. I think this has got to be the worst. Until now, you can say, well, it's okay, just stay away from New York City, stay away from Washington, D.C., Chicago, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, maybe a couple of other liberal cities. Just stay out of those cities. But there are some relatively normal cities like Kenosha, Wisconsin, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There was one place in Nebraska recently. Those are small towns that They are getting hit now. And in fact, I'm starting to wonder, Kenosha, for example, Wisconsin, I think it was the late afternoon when that guy was shot, the guy who had a warrant for sexual assault, and he showed up at his victim's place, and she called the police, and then there was a shooting. Okay, that all happened late afternoon. Within 24 hours, there were several thousand mob people in the so-called protesters in that town. And within maybe 35 hours of that shooting, half of the downtown area was on fire in Kenosha. Rochester is another example. The small towns that are led by normal people are not immune to all this. Rochester, for example, is in New York State, but it's far from New York City. And a lot of people might not know this, but Rochester is otherwise a pretty normal place. Upstate New York relatively uh, conservative there. So far, rural areas still looks safe from the street mobs, way out of town areas where your neighbor might be a quarter mile to a mile or more away. Those areas, you might be safe from the mob, but the mob protests have been pretty much hitting uh, everywhere. And when I say out in the middle of the country, I have to make an exception for if there's anything burnable nearby. I recently saw a map of the hot spots, how really bad the fires have been this summer. And it's all up and down the left coast. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that this is the year that Antifa and Black Lives Matter have started riots just in high gear. In other words, there has to be some kind of connection between all the forest fires And Antifa or Black Lives Matter. Maybe out in the country where, like you're in the Great Plains, where there's nothing burnable nearby you, you might be safe from the mob, but everybody else pretty much just watch out. Like I was saying in Kenosha, within 35 hours of that shooting, half the town was on fire. And they did a study of all the people arrested in Kenosha for doing all the rioting and Something like 44 states were represented in those who were arrested for rioting in Kenosha. So that makes me tend to believe that there's something else behind all this. This is not just spontaneous people nearby getting outraged at the news and going and rioting. No, I think this has to be more organized. There has to be some organization and some big-time funding behind all this. I'm just suspicious. Newt Gingrich mentioned it. There was some reports within the last couple of years, Fox News did cover that, that certain prosecutors have gotten a lot of campaign money from George Soros and who knows who else. The thing about searching for campaign money is that the FEC website is pretty good. FEC.gov, I believe it is. You can search any elected official and find out who contributed to their campaign. And if you come across A pack, you know, open society or whatever it's called, then do a Google search on that and then you can find out who's behind that. So I think there's something more going on with all these riots. Anyway, today's episode, I'm not going to be giving legal advice. Legal advice is when a lawyer listens to your situation and your facts and that lawyer is licensed in your jurisdiction and then that lawyer blends the facts and the law, and then gives you a suggestion or a prognosis or something like that. That's not what's going on here, but I just want to make sure that you know this is not legal advice. This is all snark and sarcasm. And first bit of advice I want to give to the mostly peaceful protester and murderer is pick an accommodating area. It's not only a Democratic-controlled state, but the city and also the DA. And there's going to be a lot of emphasis in my talk here about Michael Ryan Owell, the murderer from Portland a few weekends ago who killed somebody from the Patriot Prayer Group, which, as we all know, they pray and then they are violent being sarcastic, of course. But Michael Ryan Owell was suspected in the killing of this person, Aaron uh, Danielson. He was also wanted by drug and gun charges earlier. But he picked a pretty good area, Portland, Oregon, in Multnomah County, to do his mostly peaceful murdering. And when I was a frontline prosecutor, oh, so long ago, I can remember feeling the pressure not to dismiss and not to just say, hey, judge, we're not going to act on this citation or whatever. There was that long walk back to the office where the supervisor would say, hey, you dismissed that case or you refused to prosecute on it? Let me see that file. In other words, most DA's offices know that if you dismiss a case or if you go lenient on some defendant, that it sends a message that that defendant will go out and feel that much more emboldened to do the same conduct all over again or that person might talk to others who they will feel emboldened in committing the same acts. But apparently this is not a concern of Mike Schmidt, the district attorney of Multnomah County. I'm not saying his whole office is like that. There are probably many normal prosecutors who care about law and order in his office, but he certainly doesn't. And he has dismissed or just not prosecuted, not filed criminal complaints against hundreds of people who have been arrested by the police in Portland, Oregon, starting with not even requiring bail. So that's clear what's going on in Portland, Oregon with that district attorney's office. Michael Ryan Owell was supposedly in the video where this shooting took place. I saw the video and all I saw was a bunch of people running On the street, I heard somebody yell out, Oh, we've got one right here. And then a couple of gunshots, and then everybody runs away. So the other people present were probably Antifa people. And were they going to cooperate in a murder prosecution against one of their fellow Antifa people where the victim was a patriot prayer person? Of course not. So while it might be annoying to the general public, to know that there's a murderer out there on the loose. There was no way around it in this situation because you couldn't see clearly the video. And the only other people you know who were present were Antifa people who were not going to cooperate with the prosecution. So for a few days there, you know, the people at 4chan... That's the number four and then C-H-A-N dot org. They examined a number of videos way before that and way after that, and they came up with the name Michael Ryan O'Well. Supposedly, he was also seen on the video of that Good Samaritan a few weeks earlier beating up that guy because he had stopped his truck and offered help to somebody getting hassled by Black Lives Matter. So... Michael Ryan-Oell was violent and he was bad news. But back to the DA's office, I've seriously considered commissioning a graphic artist to design, in fact, I still might, to design a seal for the office of the district attorney, Multnomah County. And the seal would have within it the two monkeys, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, and then the two flags, Antifa and BLM flags in the background, And this is something I would offer to the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office. Use it on business cards, letterhead, even next to their front door. Royalty-free? No problem. Anyway, Michael ryan Owell did a pretty good job of picking his location to do his mostly peaceful murdering. This brings me to advice number two, is definitely give a video interview... And let's hear your side of the story. Recall that for a few days, the name Michael Ryan Noel was a suspect out there based upon different videos that people at 4 put together, and Ryan Noel was nowhere to be found. Four days later, and this was pretty annoying to law and order type people, but four days later, he made a video interview of Vice, the website Vice, who looked to me like, because of the lack of follow-up questions, they were not really convinced. They just wanted to get a video of this guy on their website. This was a great thing for the prosecution, because Michael Ryanowell said, I had no choice. What that means is, he did pull the trigger, and he did do the deed. He actually shot the victim. And in this circumstance, that checked a box— The prosecution no longer has to contend with the possibility that five people around are going to say, no, it was him, no, it was him, no, it was him, no, it was him. It was that guy over there, and no, it was that guy over there. All these different defense witnesses who could be called to the stand to point the finger at other people, all that is done away with now by virtue of the fact that Ryan O'Well said, I had no choice. I had to do this. Of course, nothing was followed up. Like I said, the the lack of follow-up questions in this interview is so obvious that the interviewer didn't believe. But anyway, he said, I had no choice. I had to protect my friend who is a person of color. Like I said, no follow-up question. Oh, really? Who were you protecting and how were they threatened? Nothing, nothing. So check that box. He admitted that he had the gun and he pulled the trigger and shot the victim. Okay, great. Number two, then Michael Ryanowell says, and then I made my exit. Check that box as well. (laughs) So the legal term is skedaddle or hightailing it. But think this one through. If you really have no choice but to use lethal force on somebody who is about to commit some kind of horrible wrong to a third party, It's known as defense of others. So there's self-defense and there's defense of others. Think this one through. If you're actually using lethal force in defense of others, then you're going to hang around and say, officer, I had to do this. Don't get the wrong idea. I had to do this because that guy was threatening that person over here or whatever. By saying, I made my exit, that's known as consciousness of guilt, And so he knew he had just done wrong, and he wanted to get out of the area, or as he put it, make his exit. And there's also the idea that maybe he was kidnapped by some well-meaning people who just wanted to get him out of that area. No, no. He made his exit. He did it himself. He left on his own. So therefore, that checked some pretty big boxes for the prosecution. Even Mike Schmidt's office at that point— filed murder charges, and issued a warrant for this guy's arrest. He was found in southern Washington state a day or two later. And this brings me to my next bit of advice to mostly peaceful protesters and murderers. What to do when the police arrive at your location and tell you that they are there to arrest you. How to handle that situation. In that situation, you have three options. Option number one is honestly what I do recommend. Cooperate with the police and submit to your arrest. On the other hand, a lot of people might say that that is a boring option. But call me wacko if you want. But whenever guns are involved, I think boring is a good thing. Boring is a situation where you can talk about it later and people will be bored. But that's okay because you're still alive. So that's the option, number one, that I would recommend. But the two options besides that that you have, number two, you can run or you can drive away. Now, a lot of people have tried that, and that is a good way of taking the criminal charges that are already facing you and adding to those, at the very least resisting or delaying or obstructing arrest and maybe even endangering the lives of pedestrians and other motorists depending on how fast you drive away. But that doesn't work. The third option, and apparently this is the option that Mr. Ryan Owell chose, is that he presented a weapon. And a lot of people try this. A lot of people try this. There was a guy about a year ago, I think his name was Rice. He pulled what looked like a real gun, but it was a fake gun. And people were outraged that the police shot that guy dead, because he was pointing a fake gun at the police. And I guess the thinking there was that the police were supposed to call a timeout, say, wait a minute, hold it, timeout, let me see if that's a real gun or just a fake gun. But apparently they didn't do that, and maybe they should have. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. But according to a number of witnesses, when the police approached Mr. Ryan Owell, said, we are here to arrest you, that's when he pulled out a weapon. And after a few shots, according to witnesses, he was turned into the human version of Swiss cheese with a number of holes. But he does have one consolation. As his newly deceased body was being brought away, an alert citizen came across the scene and started videotaping, and that alert citizen narrated into the videotape, basically trying to make the case that, no, Mr. Ryan O'Well had tried option number one and got killed, when, in fact, Mr. Ryan Owell chose option number three and then got killed. And this is according to several witnesses there. So he was mostly peaceful as a murderer, and he was mostly peaceful as an arrestee as well. In fact, I think for all of these so-called protesters, I think we all know, we can all agree, they are all mostly peaceful. In fact, I'd go even further. I'd say if you look in the dictionary of the phrase mostly peaceful, you would probably see a photo of a group of protesters in Portland, Oregon. It's that quintessential how mostly peaceful all these people are. Okay, so why am I mentioning all this on a Prepper podcast? All these uh, mostly peaceful protesters are annoying, no doubt. And I'd like to point out, when we talk about these mostly peaceful protesters, there's nothing proposed. There's no, oh, we want a commission to oversee whatever. We, we'd like this new bit of legislation to get passed. No, it's just we want to go out and destroy. We want to harm people, threaten them, tear down statues. We want to set on fire federal courthouses that have people in them. That's known as attempted murder, by the way. We also want to burn down police precinct offices that have people inside. That's also known as attempted murder. But there are no proposals here. There's nothing like, oh, yeah, well, if we give in to these people, we'll have to enact this legislation or whatever. There's nothing. There's nothing. So anyway, my advice to our dear listeners here is to arm up and ammo up and practice, practice, practice. Also consider getting a loaded handgun license so that you can carry in public. Not all jurisdictions have that rule. Not all jurisdictions even offer it. But keep it legal, and if you're able to legally carry a gun in your car, that's a big deal. But at least consider having some weapons in your house to protect your house, because these mostly peaceful protesters, they're branching out. It used to be just a few cities and a few downtown areas. Now they're going out to the suburbs and surrounding people's homes. And the very annoying thing is that the few times that a homeowner has come out with a gun, the police look to arrest that person. And you'd think that that would be, you know, the Second Amendment is one of those chestnuts, of law. Down from English common law, that it's just inherent that if you at your home feel threatened, you can pull out a gun. Maybe not everybody recommends that, but that's pretty standard. That if there's a mob out in front of your home, you should be able to show up at the front door with a gun. And that communicates to the mob that the stakes here are a little bit higher than you might think. And yet, the police are arresting those people. So that's very annoying. So not only guns, but I would say have other weapons as well. I'm a big fan of pepper spray. I have that in my car. Knives as well, although that's more of a hand-to-hand combat type thing. But any kind of weaponry is better than nothing. So that's the whole point of today's episode. I'm going to have some links at the end here to show some of the craziness that's going on. The city council of Minneapolis, the city council that defunded the police and the head of the city council who, when asked, what about a home invasion robbery, who are you going to call? That person said, oh, that's a white privilege issue, you know. That city council is now, after they cut the police budget, they're wondering why crime went up in Minneapolis. Uh, Go figure. I mean, there's so much craziness going on out there, but in this year, it seems like nothing surprises me anymore. But Anyway, I'm going to post some links in the show notes here, but consider getting armed and consider having a good supply of ammo, knives, pepper spray, anything to protect yourself from the mobs out there. And I hope you found today's episode of the Survival in Motion podcast entertaining, what with all the snark and sarcasm, but also educational. I hear the music. That means our time is up. Thank you for joining me. God bless.